Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome to A Raiders of the Lost Arts mini-sode. Another mini-sode, another week. I like doing mini-sodes. They're fun. They're mini. They are mini. And, like, I feel like they do have a more of a free format. Yeah. And my only stressor is, like, okay, we got to get it under an hour or it's not a mini-sode. Or it's not mini and it did not make the cut. And then I feel like an idiot for calling it a mini-sode at the beginning. But this one's fun because... Guess what we're doing? Well, another we're, do- we're doing another film review, film review, and this film is obscure. So I feel like our name is finally coming true. Where we are a raider of the lost arts. We are. Where this is a a film. I honestly didn't hear about this film until you told me what it was. I was like, "What?" And I have a fun backstory with it. I'll, I'll actually I'll lead into it with yeah. the fun backstory. So Perfect. back in the day, as in like 2017. Um, back I back in the day. 2017 picture this back in the day 2017 um i was a big fa- i still am a big fan of the broadway musical natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 and so the creator of that show his name is dave malloy and he was doing this thing where he was posting on twitter and i think spotify links as well or spotify playlist of what songs and stuff inspired some of the songs in the musical which i found really cool and interesting because i really liked the songs from the musical obviously so it was interesting seeing i mean i would hope so <laughs> what songs inspired those songs um and so for a so- uh, a song that comes in, it's in the first act of the musical um that follows mary and uh, her father Volkonsky, um, and like, what's it called? Something of the house. It's 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 essentially where she details what it's like living Master with him. And no, no, definitely Miz, and because uh, he's a deranged old man, and so it's kind of a a disjointing piece in the in the musical. But so for that one, he posted a bunch of the songs. And I was listening to all of them, and one of them was this song called, like, The Dungeon or Elevator Song, and it was from this really obscure movie from the 50s, and I was like, this is really interesting. And the full version that he posted uh, was different than the one in the movie, and something about this clip just conjured something in me. And I made it this my mission. This better not awaken anything. <laughs> this better not awaken anything in me. And I was like, at some point, I'm going to have to watch this movie because I'm so interested in it. And I did a lot of research about the movie before ever watching it. And like, I felt like I knew it. I didn't <laughs> really. I didn't at all because we watched it and it's nothing like what I had. Well, it's a little bit like how I had imagined, but. I went in with no expectations, so it was fantastic. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of blindsided you, but I think that's the way to go in. Um, and so the movie that we are talking about is the Five Thousand Fingers of Doctor T, T. um, which is it came out in 1958, and it's Doctor Seuss's only ever feature film. Yeah, and imagine that it's Seussian. Um, that's for sure. It's Seussian. It's Freudian. It's, it's, well, it's a little Freudian. It's Everything's gay. a little Freudian. It's uh, it's like a German expressionist film in Technicolor mm-hmm. and American, with all of the uh, 
the flavorings of McCarthyism and the disintegration of the nuclear family and nuclear holocaust on the horizon and all that stuff. So it's it's fun. It's a great family romp. (laughs) Um, Bring your kids to see it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about it, and then we're gonna talk about how our, we reacted to it. Yeah. So Kay did the research this time around. I know. Look at well. Okay. So basically, my semester Bobby's ended. Wild. I have time to focus on other things. I mean, I focus on this obviously, but like really focus and like do the research. Um, and I already knew a bunch of this stuff anyway, so it wasn't as difficult. Um, so I'm just gonna, you know talk about it a bit and then we're gonna discuss it so it's it's a musical fantasy film about a boy who dreams himself into a fantasy world ruled by a diabolical piano teacher enslaving children to practice piano forever so horrifying yeah every child's nightmare so here's a a little plot overview without Many spoilers. This is all from like Wikipedia and stuff. Oh yeah. Like that. So before we even go further, as you know, with movie reviews, there will be spoilers. So if yeah. you want to um, indulge yourself into this beautiful world and you want it to be spoiler free, then put a pause. It might be a movie that even if you get spoilers, it's still worth the watch because you're not watching it for the plot. You're watching it for just visually, visually and... the absurdity. Dare I say? Yeah. Very theater of the absurd. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, so especially that opening scene. I can't wait to discuss. Yeah, so young Bart Collins lives with his widowed mother Eloise. The bane of Bart's existence is the hated piano lessons he endures under the tutelage of the autocratic Doctor Terwilliker. Bart feels that his mother has fallen under Terwilliker's influence and gripes to their plumber August Zabladowski without result. Uh, while hammering at his lessons, Bart dozes off and enters a musical dream. In the dream, Bart is trapped at the surreal Terwilliker Institute, where the piano teacher is a madman dictator who has imprisoned non-piano playing musicians. He built a piano so large that it requires Bart and 499 other boys, hence 5,000 fingers, to play it. Bart's mother has become Terwilliker's hypnotized assistant and bride-to-be, and Bart must dodge the Institute's guards as he scrambles to save his mother and himself. He tries to recruit Mr. Zabludowski, who was hired to install the Institute's lavatories ahead of a vital inspection, but only after skepticism and foot-dragging. Zabludowski convinced to help. That's a a general overview of at least the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. A lot happens after that. And also, like, not a lot. It's a very... A lot happens and nothing happens. It's, yeah, it's one of those films where, like, subconsciously a lot is going on Mm. but there's many moments where if you walked out of the room and you came back you're not missing much yeah but like also you're missing everything yeah it's it's very um mind warping so a fun fact about this uh, there's a few fun facts i'm gonna actually go through now um the original script was rumored to be a thousand two hundred pages long oh my god so most features. Put, I was gonna say, I want to put that into retrospect for the besties out there. Most features are about maybe ninety to two hundred pages long, depending yes. on you know the length. You fat you factor in like it's about a minute per page. Yeah. So if you're watching a two-hour film, one hundred and twenty pages. Um, so one thousand two hundred pages. How long a film is that? We don't know math. It's a long-ass I'm film. I'm about to take out my phone and go to the handy-dandy I think that's calculator. a 30-hour film. 
1,200 pages? Yeah, 1,200 pages. It's a 20-hour film. It's a 20-hour film. Yeah, I, so they cut a lot. <laughs> it'll, how, I want to know how... What what did it look like to write 20 hours worth of film? And to, like, to present it and for someone to just be like... I don't know. And, for, like, I could just imagine, like, just, like, the proud smile on his face. He's like, oh, I did it. I did it. My magnum opus. Literally, his magnum opus. He, like, dropped it on the table. The whole earth quakes. And they're like, yeah, we're making, like, a feature film, not a, a mini doc. Like, yeah. what is... This is, like... If you want to make it a mini series, whatever, but... That would have been an interesting concept. I think... It should have a remake. I've tweeted about this before, but I think like Guillermo del Toro would. Oh yes, really can we also one. just can we save or Taika? Can we save for the ending? Who we want maybe to be in the film? Yeah, we can do a okay. on the spot fantasy fantasy cast. Yes, perfect. Um, the film originally had twenty musical numbers, but nine were cut to leave a final of eleven musical numbers. Nine oh. were cut. Yeah, and like from the perspective of having watched that film if they fit in nine more oh my goodness yeah i don't i don't know how Listen. long was the original cut like four hours oh how long was the movie again it was okay. only like an hour and a half oh, yeah or an hour 40 maybe um okay this is my favorite fun fact and this is this about the thing that got me interested in this movie to begin with so at a certain point in the film bart and Mr. Zabajewski? Zab- uh, yeah. Um, they go down into the dungeon. Yes. And they're led by Dr. T into the this elevator with the elevator operator who wears a black thing over his head, almost like he's an executioner. Yeah. Um, and his eyes are all blacked around, so all you see is like the whites the of, his, of eyes. his eyes. He's all oiled up, and he wears these striped pants. It's a very... Um, I don't know. It's just the image of him himself. It's kind of John. Like, Imagine daunting. watching that as a child in 1950. Horrifying. Horrifying. So the third floor of the dungeon, though mentioned, uh, does not have a verse during the dungeon song sung by the elevator operator. It's mentioned that there's a third floor, and you can see physically on like the little thingy, the meter, the yeah. meter that there is a third floor. He sings a verse about the first and the second floor, but there's no third floor mentioned. Um, the lyrics were thought to be too macabre at the time, and they were cut from the final release. There's a video online uh, that you can find that has the full song with a missing verse, and the lyrics are as followed, and maybe you'll see why they uh, they cut this. Um, it goes, third floor dungeon, household appliances, spiked bag, beds, electric chairs, gas chambers, roasting pots, and scalping devices. Mm. So it said that uh, it was removed because of the gas chambers inclusion. Yes, I was about to say. I'm like, honestly, the whole scalping. I mean, they're pretty dark, but dark. But like, I think the gas chamber anecdote was the darkest part of that. Especially, I mean, take into consideration yeah. the time in which this was. It came out a few years after the end of World War II and the Holocaust, so maybe not the best inclusion at the time. Doctor Seuss was a little too dark. You crazy motherfucker. Really? Um so that's and you I highly recommend if you watch Watching nothing the from full this song. just watch the full song on YouTube. It'll make you want to watch the movie and it's so creepy. But like 
I don't know. Something about it is so alluring. It is. And what's so funny, too, the I The scene like is so, ooh. About that scene is it's so, like you said, off-putting. It's the, the idea that they took that verse away because it was too macabre for audiences. That whole scene itself is just so almost out of place in the whole film, too, which is really it's, interesting. It is, and then it's, like, not. like And just the way the whole set moves during yes. that scene, like, they're on an elevator, but, like, it moves weirdly behind them to show that the, it's moving, and it's, like, it's almost like you feel like you're on a boat. Yeah, it's very jolting. And it's, oh, like, it makes you kind of want to throw, throw up. up, which brings me to my next fun fact. Oh, great vomit. <laughs> One of the... 150 boys, like one of the boys that was on set, there was 150 of them, puked, and he set off a chain reaction <gasps> of, a like, most of the boys vomiting. Do you know if they got this on film? No, I don't think they did. Ugh. Dr. Seuss likened this to the reviews of the film, where he was like, yeah, it was basically like a bunch of people puking. That's what my reviews were like, mm. which I thought was funny. That is funny. Uh, that's honestly... <laughs> it is it it is a thing. Have you seen it? I feel like I've definitely seen it in person. The, the, the chain reaction of vomiting. Yes. I've seen it in like movies and stuff. Um, I've seen it in person. I don't want to see. I'm I, it, I'm literally so numb to it. Like okay. nothing about it bothers me. Anyway, anyways, back to this. Back to Doctor T and his gonna... five thousand thingies. So Doctor Seuss intended this movie to be a commentary on post-war society fascism and militarization at least a little bit um but because the film tested so poorly in screenings uh screenings a lot of that was cut and reworked to be more family friendly and therefore did not quite make the same points um it was also a lot darker in the uncut version with more beheading strangling and other torture probably unsuitable for children interesting yeah um is there this original version out there somewhere? No, it's considered to be lost media. Is it really, though? Yeah. Um, so according to Hans Conried, who is, I think, played Dr. Tillicker, a uh, biographer, Suzanne Giorgiulio, the first draft of the film had some rather dark ideas. Dr. T originally had a magic saber that he used to cut the heads off of incompetent henchmen who rose again as headless zombies. Mrs. Collins' cage was going to be suspended above Dr. T's bed, and she would have recited rhymes declaring her loyalty to the doctor. The finale was going to feature Bart Collins performing a song that would have encouraged the twins, Johnson and Whitney, to strangle Dr. T to death with their beard. Honestly, where is this version? I want it. I want it. I want it. I think given the time period, it was probably just like they filmed over it. It was just. Or like they, they cut it and like the cut pieces they just threw out. Honestly. And I do get it because this is like the scenario where it's just like read the room. Yeah. It's a little too inappropriate for the time. Period. But like they kept a lot of the twins. So there's these two roller skating twins in the movie. That, that are ha- attached by beard. They're connected at the beard and they had a whole musical number. They were these two guys. They were twins who were roller skaters, and like they did this. this that was their act. Yeah. Um. They weren't connected to the beard. I don't think. But so they were brought like out of retirement to do this. I want their origin story. <laughs> yeah. You laugh, but I'm serious. <laughs> no, I know. Um. And essentially, in the film, that's like kind of, I guess they're how they stay alive or something. Like it's a vital it's, part yes, of them. Yes, it is their vitality because Bart snipped 
does a little snip snip with the beard. some garden shears he and snips them. Kills them and they die i was like just oh die. does that kill them like you just cut their hair yeah, and you were no they died yeah, you were literally just like laughing because you thought you were being <laughs> funny you're like oh my god like this is like gonna kill them and you're like oh my god like, and then they like gurneyed them out and i was like um oh oh, oh my god she did oh oh they pass away oh oh um, <laughs> Miss Keisha. Miss Keisha. Um, and those are all my fun facts. So now I want to get a little bit into. I was do. I was kind of doing this interpretation as we watched it, if you recall. But Doctor Trewilliker is very queer coded. Oh, for sure. He is basically. He a is gay the man. homo of the sexual. I mean, he has his one fit at the end. That's like a striped number it with is... a little pink treble clef and it's very like like it reminded me it's, honestly of the holocaust it's very theatricality well yeah but like they wore the, like stripes in the holocaust and wasn't it the the pink triangle that denoted that you were homosexual yes and i think that was a play off of that that's how i'm interpreting that that fashion moment. He has a lot we of fashion moments. We might have a fact pocket, but I, I want to say you're right with the pink triangle. I think that's yeah, the symbol. Yeah, and that's how pink became like a like a, a more feminine color or whatever yeah. because of Hitler. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Hitler. Um, So this is, the movie is just a visually unwieldy phantasmagoria, if you will, of light Ooh. shapes. Ooh, wait, say that word again. Phantasmagoria. That's hot. A true reshaping of the German expressionist film. It's also so um, multifaceted and multi-genre of a film. Yeah, but, like, I think that just means it's a mess. But, like, it's kind of just, it's, it's a, a lot. Mess. It's a lot. It's fun. It's a romp. <laughs> it's a romp. Um, it's all set in the subconscious of this young boy. Um, Which also, honestly, I... In the way I was reading the film, I didn't talk too much about it with you guys. I was watching, and when I left, went home, um, I mean, this is just, like, the obvious. But, like, I think the whole messiness of, like, the plot and, like, all the stuff that's occurring and happening, it literally, it speaks to the subconscious of a young boy. It's also because of all the cuts they did, but, like, they reordered some of the, the events, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I mean, there's. It, I feel like there's a few different interpretations. There's the queer interpretation where it's like this is somewhat of a, not a coming out, but like or like a a state of repression and yeah, we're like identity. where like it's like a queer identity film. There's one interpretation that speaks to the idea of bodily autonomy and control, um, and then there's another which is probably Dr. Seuss' intent about, um, like fascism and McCarthyism and yeah. All that post-war um, societal uh, schizophrenia, if you will. Um, but I, I, my reading that I did on first watch was one about uh, it being a queer film. So, not only is Doctor T queer coded, but the men in his dungeon are as well. Okay. If you recall, so when they get to the bottom floor of the dun- dungeon, that's where Doctor Twilliker keeps all of these non-piano playing people um these are people he said yes. he's like you the only uh instrument you, are that you should play basically. is the piano anyone who doesn't play the piano is like morally wrong that's repression baby and that's projection yeah that's also um what's the word 
indoctrination. Yeah, and so he keeps all of these men in the bottom floor of his dungeon. They're all quite fit, wearing tight pants, attractive men, and they all play different instruments. Yes. I also wanted to add, I think it's really interesting, correct me if I'm interpreting this wrong, but even if you look at, like, the piano itself and, like, the instrument, I associate it with the feminine. Um, It's, yeah, I think it is seen as more of a fem- feminine instrument. Object, yes. Yeah. Which is interesting um, because he finds the moral purity within. And not to bring up the piano again, oh. but in that film, Ada, who is the, the main character, she uses the piano as an experience extension of herself because she cannot speak and when she plays it it's almost like she's masturbating in a way it's like her pleasure but it's also an extension of her body so yeah so it's a key she's like pressing on her own body yeah yeah all that stuff um essentially what i was saying about the basement um the prisoners in dr Tewilaker's dungeon play a litany of other instruments that they show to bart as soon as bart arrives they come out and they give him this whole big show and the whole scene is like a beautiful giant pr- pride parade in yeah. a way. It's like gorgeous and truly like it is a sumptuous visual feast. A sumptuous visual feast. Yeah. Um, The fit men show Bart all the possibilities of life Um, and this is what truly sparks Bart to take his final action against Dr. Twilker with the, the whole can contraption that he yes. uses to like trap the music. The music. Which is, I still don't quite understand what the fuck was going on with that. But it's a fantasy film. <laughs> yeah, we, we we have to let some things go. Um, what else did I say? Okay, so Doctor Tulliker's plan is to get a bunch of little boys to play his giant piano. Um, he tells Bart that there are no other instruments he can play, just the piano. Doctor Tulliker dresses in extremely feminine clothing and shows little physical interest in the mother Eloise. Only shows interest in controlling her. Yes. He doesn't physically desire her, it doesn't seem. Um, he's more interested in the body of Mr. Zabladowski, actually. Okay, I'm, I'm interested where you're going to take this. Um, and there's a whole musical number that reads like a polyamorous couple trying yes. to convince okay. yes, yes, we, Mr. Zabladowski yes. to yes. be their third. To be their swing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... Dr. Tobilker is less interested in Eloise in that number and well, much more interested in August. Yeah, and also it's the fact that, like, there, of course it is a children's movie, but there are ways in which you can get away with, um, I want to say, blocking and just, like, body language and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And there's no sense of intimacy. He even puts her in her own prison cell. Yeah, like, like think, he doesn't want to sleep in the same bed as her. Exactly, you would think he'd want her in the same quarters. Nope. Um, but yes, he sleeps alone and he keeps her in a prison cell. Um, and I think that's also part of like his his tactic of conditioning mm-hmm. and, and like that idea of mind control and manipulation. Mm-hmm. Ugh, the gay agenda. <laughs> uh, yeah, the gay agenda to mind control manipulate. Um, Mr. Tilwerkel also has like a musical number where his henchmen dress up in like a rainbow imperialist outfit. Like he puts on like a dictator's uniform, but it's like all rainbow and shit, which is like. Why am I not remembering this? I think I commented on it quite a bit when it was happening where like he's singing his song and they're all like putting 
the clothing on him. Yes. Okay. Remember? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, this one was about bodily autonomy and control. Doctor. That was like one giant gay slumber party. Yeah. Doctor Trilliker tries to control Heloise, his henchmen, the boys, Bart, as well as himself. He projects his own insecurities about his masculinity and sexuality onto everyone else and pays the price for it. Um, not gonna tell you how, but he does pay the price. Um, I mean, it's obviously also a commentary on fascism and, and McCarthyism, um, as well as Doctor Twilliker being like a dictator akin to like Hitler or a, a, a figure like McCarthy. Yes. Um, but my reading was was the queer reading, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's a very there's a lot there to sink your teeth into. Yeah. And because it it does take place in the subconscious. There's so many readings you can do. And like, who's to say they were wrong? Yeah. Dr. Seuss is dead. He can't say no. He can't say nothing. He can't say nothing. He can't. Um, I kind of wanted to go into that beginning scene super quick. Cause I did mention it a little bit earlier. How we oh, talk about when it. he's being chased. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like literally. So you, you, you press play on this bad boy and it opens up and just, I remember both of us kind of looked at each other and we were like, the set design? Are you kidding? It's very, like, German Expressionist where it looks like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but, like, in Technicolor and Yeah, and it just... Crazy. I want to know how long it took to build these sets. Mm-hmm. I also, like, the um the actor who plays Bart, I don't remember his name. Um, He does such a fantastic job in the role, but, like, also just the sheer essence of being comfortable on these sets and really being able to explore them mm-hmm. and maintain that like childlike mentality within the character um and use it like he i think obviously he was directed of course under someone but like the the usage of the space was very um intentional and very mm-hmm. smart um there's the, that one set piece that really, not messed with me, but like... The ladder? Yeah, the ladder. Yes. So uh, at the beginning, well, kind of at the end of like the first act of the film, Bart's yeah. being chased by the henchmen in his dream world. And he goes up this ladder and it goes possibly high and it curves at the top. And just stops. And then it just stops. And to me, that read somewhat like a liminal space. The whole set actually felt like a liminal space. And the thing with liminal spaces is that they often feel like transi- transitory places, like thresholds. Yeah. Um, where you're transitioning from one state to another. And, I mean, this is, in a way, a coming-of-age film for it Bart. Is. yeah. And so I feel like the whole set represents this liminal stage that he's at in his life. It's also about, I think... Another way to read this is um, in terms of sticking with that coming of age uh, narrative is also a um, with the idea of growing up uh, facing your fears. That's mm-hmm. what I saw a lot of the film as with yeah. him facing these like irrational fears he might have being a whimsical child um, and basically all the um, the acrobatics like quote unquote that he has to perform within this like dreamscape push kind of push him to his limits mm-hmm. in ways that he may might not think he would have wanted to um pursue and it forces him 
to take charge and take control, and he feels um, kind of vindicated in the end of the of the film. Mm-hmm. Also, I did want to note, kind of going back to your queer reading of the narrative, which I think is really interesting about the ladder itself. So he has to climb this ladder, and like it goes like you said, ridiculously, um, unrealistically high mm-hmm. in the sky, and then it curves and it stops completely. Do you remember the color of the ladder? Was it red? It's red. Um, so if we go into that symbolism, um, red can mean a lot of different things, but like one thing that like is attached to red is this idea of um, lust or uh, love itself. Love, passion. Yeah. Passion, all that whatnot. So I saw that as him um, treading his desires and, you know, chasing after his passion and being, like, basically put at a halt. And that's just, like, the expressionism or the um, searching for the homosexual homosexual identity. It's There's something innate and there's something to be sought after and you're able to go, like, however far and then it, it stops. Mm. Yeah, I think there's also some interesting displays of masculinity in the film where you have Bart who's like trying to learn how to be a man. Be a man within 1950s America. And you've got August who's just this very gentle paternal figure to him. He like adopts him essentially. All of a sudden Bart just starts calling him Pop and he's like, all right. Um, And it's it's interesting how I think his... um, his character is so dimensional because you have this, um, the physicality of what a man should be. You know, he's the plumber or he's the handyman. Mm-hmm. He's able to fix things. He shows up to the house and is able to help a single woman and her child um, in more ways than one, not just helping with whatever is happening with, like, the functionality of the house, but the functionality of the family. Um, and then it also goes into, like you were just saying, I think you make such a great point. He's very tender. He's very paternal. Um, so it's this like weird dichotomy of like, what is it's kind of questioning? What is true manhood? What is true masculinity? What is true fatherhood? Well, yeah. And he's contrasted with Dr. Twilker who tells Bart what he has to be. And there's this scene with Bart and August where, he they just start pretending that they're on a fishing trip. Yeah. And like they use their imagination. So wholesome. And Dr. Twilker is like the exact opposite who's very Dr. rigid and tells you how it is. And he doesn't have an imagination. And that's why mm-hmm. also you could see him being so over the top with things because he um those things that he uses are necessity, whether it's, you know, the the elaborate piano that he has created and just his whole like world and his universe and like that scene where they're putting all that clothing on him, he needs that because he doesn't have the imagination to come up with that. He physically needs these things to keep him um, in his realm or his status. Yeah, and, like, the whole thing with uh, Dr. T is, like, he's a con man. He's, like, convincing all these parents to have their kids learn the piano. Um, Interesting. Okay, I... Honestly, did not seem as a con man. Well, no, well, that's essential. Well, I forget what the word that they use in the movie is. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Um, 
But they say it a few times. Uh, I rem- yes, and I remember questioning them. I'm like, do you know what that word is? Yeah. And then you're like, no. And then we both looked it up. But essentially, oh he's fooling them all. Um, And you could definitely get a queer thing from uh, reading from that as well, where like he is playing off that he is this heterosexual man, but he's like not. He is a queer man. Do you remember when we watched this movie together? We watched it a week ago? Yeah, on 420. Right. <laughs> I I remember that it was 420 for no reason in particular. This is a fun movie to watch sober, but it could be enhanced by some... He's a racketeer. Racketeer. That's what the word they Thank is. you, search history. But yeah, so they keep on calling him a racketeer. Um... And I think that's fun. I think that's a fun little thing that they call him. I don't know. It's a fun word. Add yeah. that to add that everyone add that to your vocabulary. Add word, it to your vernacular, word baby. every day. Racketeer. Racketeer. Um, but yeah, that's all I really have to say about this movie. It's. I mean, I could probably talk more about it if I did more research and rewatched it and whatnot. Um, I gotta yeah, that see was if our, there's any scholarly work on it. We only had that initial watch. It's not like we've watched it before. No. Um, if, I mean, we rented it for like $4 on Amazon. Uh, if you don't want to watch it, you can just listen to this and look at some pictures and some stills. Yeah, the stills t- do evoke a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, or even try to, f- if there's like clips on YouTube. There's, there's clips on YouTube too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really, really want to watch it though, I recommend watching it. It's a pretty quick watch. Um, watch it with some other people. Watch it with some accoutrements of leaves. Yeah. If you will. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always fun. But yeah, I really wanted to watch this movie. I'm glad I did. I'm glad we got to talk about it. I'm glad we're rating a lost art. Um literally a lost art because there is a whole other film I, that is lost. If I, this is anything, I hope it sparks someone to be like, oh, my like uncle, my late uncle or late great uncle used to work for the studio that produced it. Um, he knew Stanley Kramer. Like, I wonder if someone please find someone it. has it like their someone somewhere. find the fucking lost tape. They find lost films all the time. I think it was uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, the f- original French cut. Um, they found somewhere they found a bunch of the old Doctor Who episodes in a bunch of people's houses because. Uh, the BBC, like, got rid of a bunch of the old tapes. They just, like, recorded over them because it was wartime or whatever. I don't know. Um, but lost media is found all the time. And this can be found. I don't think it's widely sought after. So maybe that's why we haven't found it. Maybe this it will now. inspire I really hope more so. of a cult following so that people want to find the full cut. Come on, everyone. I would love to see it. I want to see the beheading. I I want to see that. I want to see how... Bart manipulates the bearded twins to strangle yeah. Dr. T. That Damn. that is just the finality Camp. I need. It would I would be able to sleep at night yeah. peacefully knowing that happened. Um but yeah, that's all that's yeah. all I really gotta say. Um we don't really have a sign off for these, do we? No. Oh wait, we act I'm sorry. We do have one more thing to talk about really briefly. We um we're talking about at the beginning of this mini sode about the possibility of, you know, revamping, rebooting, revitalizing Oh, this right, right, film. right. Yes. We need our fantasy casting. 
Well, I'm not going to cast Bart because he's a little boy. I was going to say, yeah, that was hard. I'm like, are we going to age him a little bit? No. no, we'll keep him a young boy. Who's that young boy who be playing all the young boys? Well, he's not a young boy anymore. Jacob Tremblay. How old is he now? He's probably like, I think he's like 15 now. <gasps> is he? He's a teenager. But, so, but they would just get a random little boy. Um, Can't be random. Well, I mean, they would cast him, but like, yeah. it doesn't have to be a famous little boy. I guess not. Um, so for Doctor T, hmm. So he's a man in his like late thirties, early forties. Late early forties. Very clinical, clean yeah. cut. Yeah. Adam Scott. No. That's the first person that comes to mind. Well, what you can't say no. This <laughs> isn't objective whatsoever. Well, I'm being subjective, and I say no. And, okay, so I don't, explain your reasoning why. Because I just don't see him being like that. I just don't see it. I just can't see it. Um, I'm thinking, oh, I have someone like the coming in my head. You know who I was going to say before Adam Scott pops into my head? Who? <laughs> Brendan Fraser. No, no. I'm just throwing out random people at this point. God. Oh. Oh, I just had it. Oh. No. I actually just had an idea for Zabadowski, but he might be too old. Okay, we'll stick to Dr. T. We'll get to... It's gonna be a lot of silence. I'm gonna have to cut out. Well, I should have freaking figured this out before. We should. We should. I love how you shut down I'm... my ideas right away because well, you then... didn't think about it. Well, clearly <laughs> you're thinking too much about it. Well, because it has to be good. Oh, um, so you're saying Adam Scott isn't a good actor? No, he's not. He's a good actor. I just don't think he's right for that part. I think. I don't have someone. I will come up with someone and I'll post it on our Twitter. Okay, that works. After this episode. Okay. Or on maybe the Instagram. I'm still sticking with Adam Scott. But for Mr. Zabladowski, I thought Jude Law. But I think he's too old. Um, my, my toss into the ring, Ewan McGregor. Also probably too old. A little too old. They're both a little bit too old. This okay. would have to be a guy again in like his early 40s. <gasps> what? James McAvoy. Oh my <laughs> god. Yes. Uh, I love that man so much. I think he'd be great. Uh, now I'm just for the rest of this mini-sode. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Um, and so the last really main character is Eloise. Yeah. I see her... How old is she? She's like, probably like... Early 40s? Nah, she's probably in like her mid-30s. Really? You think so? Well, I think she should be. Okay. She has like a, what, a 10-year-old son? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um. True, they had them younger back then. I keep forgetting that too. <laughs> They did. They truly did. They really did. I'm. Hmm. I don't know why. Again, like these random people are popping in my head. Amanda Seyfried. That could work. Because she could sing. 
Yeah, she's and, got and she's got that energy too. Yeah. I would I would also throw into the ring a Brie Larson type. Okay. Not maybe exactly. I, was gonna say, her. I don't think Brie Larson necessarily. No, but someone like her. Um I like Amanda Seyfried for this. Mm-hmm. I okay, so we also want them to be able to sing. Um Bridget Mendler. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Bridget Mendler, if you ever <gasps> listen to this. I have my Dr. T. Who? Tom Hiddleston. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm you, done. No, honestly, I I take back Adam Scott, and I will I will raise your- You co-sign my yes, Tom Hiddleston? I Thank do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Um, Yeah. And then get a bunch of- uh, Hot, hot, hot gay men from like uh, one of those dance groups to do the. I mean, the it's people not in the hard. Just floor. go to the streets of New York City, <laughs> or just go right to the. Go bird, to NYU. Go right to the Bird app too, and just say, "Looking for gays." Um, so yeah, that's that's that's, that's all. That's the mini sode. I hope you guys all enjoyed. I enjoyed. I this like. Was fun. It is fun to talk about this film because it's just it's so such a interesting movie yeah that's the, that is like the nicest way of putting it yeah yeah i i did very much enjoy no i very it. much enjoyed it as well would i say it's like a great movie i don't know it's hard to I say i can't yeah i can't view it that i can't say like it that. is i can't say it isn't either i think it's worth the watch oh for sure if you haven't watched this film go ahead and watch it which i again YouTube i am clips. sure 100 percent of you at least gone. go to wiki yeah look up the synopsis look into the full look plot. at some pics I, I was about to like be like, I will personally buy this movie for all of you. No, I don't have those funds. No. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll I'll adapt this into a re uh, a re a remake. Yeah. Maybe it could be my film. It could be. Literally. We'll see. I love how you joke about these things and you're like, I'm like, but no, like legit it could. could be. So Um that all being said, I've been Kay. I've been Craig. And this was a Raiders right of the Lost Stars mini-sode. Yeah. We don't have a sign-off, so. We don't for the mini-sodes? No. We're not going to do? Okay. No, because it's different. Um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Raiders of the Pod. And if you want to, you know, send us a shout-out or some feedback or just. Money. Kidding. Money. <laughs> presents. Hate mail. Love hate mail. mail. Whatever you want. Raiders of the Pod. Raiders of the Pod at gmail.com. Yes. Um. Have a great day, night, whenever you're listening to this. Yes, enjoy. Um, yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. <laughs>